at 16 minutes past eight as we remain engulfed by an unusually strong blast of summer heat. 85 schools in Daegu, 60 in Gwangju and South Jolla province, plus many more nationwide, have opted for shortened school hours in the last few days in order to protect students' health and to save energy. And that might be for the best for another reason too, as academic performance suffers when it's hot. To directly quote Professor Ji Sung Park, Taking an exam on a 90 degrees Fahrenheit or 32 Celsius day reduces performance by 14% of a standard deviation relative to a a more optimal 72 degree Fahrenheit or 22 Celsius day. And we can now bring in Professor Park from the Department of Public Policy at the University of California, Los Angeles. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me on the show. So we... Certainly going through a, a heat wave, but Korean summers are never exactly cool. Um, different parts of the world are experiencing record high temperatures where they're not really used to it. And it's raised a lot of concerns about productivity, not just at school, but you know across the board. But your research can inform us uh, a fair bit on, on the human response to heat, can't it? Can you tell us a bit more about the situation in, in California? Absolutely, yeah. As you mentioned, you know, what's happening in Korea is, is certainly part of a broader global trend. I mean, just in the last couple of, of weeks, we've seen record heat uh, here in California, but also in New York and Boston and D.C. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of school districts, I think, especially in those areas of the country and of the world that are not at, quite as accustomed to, to heat of this magnitude, are sort of scrambling to figure out what the best response is. Uh, in the United States, School dis- individual school districts have a lot of autonomy over how they respond uh, to situations like this, so the responses have varied quite a bit. But like you mentioned, there are schools in the United States that uh, are, are closing uh, schools early in anticipation of heat. In some cases, you see uh, principals sort of rescheduling certain activities, whether it's outdoor activities or, or uh, important meetings, uh, so that they're not as exposed to temperature. But I think all in all, you know, this has been a uh, a wake-up call, really, uh, to many schools that may not have the right infrastructure, right, to deal with this kind of heat uh, at this time of the year. So we know extreme heat can be bad for the health, uh, and that's enough reason in itself to discuss this. But when it also affects productivity and students' academic performance, can you tell us a bit more about that side of your research? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's all right with you. Let me try to quickly uh, summarize two related but separate studies on this issue having to do with temperature and how it affects students, and then maybe we can talk about workers as well. Um, But in the first one, you know, a couple years ago, we took data from roughly one million New York City public school students, and each each June, these students, these high school students, take what's called a regents exam. I think in Korea, the best way to think about it is maybe a cross between the sunung and like a Kimargoza, it's, it's a high-stakes exam. It's important for determining whether or not you can graduate from high school. Mm. Because it's taken across multiple days over a couple of weeks, we were able to compare students' performance on, on these exams on days that were hotter or cooler right, in relative to his or her own average. And that quote uh, that you mentioned at the outset comes from that study where we find that you know, we, hot temperature on the day of your exam affects your performance considerably. So that, that's a problem, especially if you have these important, very high-stakes exams that, that determine so much 
uh, of not only your educational future, but possibly your economic future as well. Um, so that's one part of the equation. Another, another aspect has to do with this more long-term effect, right? Whether if you experience more hot temperature events during the school year, more hot days such as the ones you're experiencing now, during uh, sort of pedagogically or class-relevant periods, you actually learn less. And so to address that question, uh, uh, we, we, we took data from around 10 million students in the United States taking what are called the PSAT exams, and here I guess the closest analog would be a Moigosa in, in Korea. And we basically found that if you experience more hot class days during the school year leading up to an exam, you actually seem to learn less, have learned less on average, which uh, an effect that was a lot larger, uh, particularly in schools that didn't report having adequate air conditioning or were in areas of the country that were not as accustomed, right, to having this kind of heat, did not see this kind of heat more, as frequently. Yes. And so, we, you know, both of those studies combined lead us to, to conclude that you know, hot, hot temperature can actually affect not only your health, as you mentioned, but, but learning and, uh, and skill formation as well. Now, a number of teachers, um, and perhaps yourself as a professor, you'll, you'll be aware of this, would, would have said at a more anecdotal level that, of course, uh, heat plays a role. It makes us all feel lethargic, shortens our attention span, makes us feel, frankly, like we don't want to do much of anything productive. Um, but, but research also shows there's something going on biologically with the brain to slow us down. And, and, and do you think your data really feeds into that? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, look, I think anecdotally we've all been in that situation. I've certainly been in that situation as a student and as a teacher, and I can tell you it affects me both ways. Uh, we, part of the motivation behind the research was to try to use, you know, if you want to call it big data, to substantiate the, these kind of anecdotal references just to get, you know, just to put some more statistical oomph behind it. Um, in, in terms of thinking about, you know, whether uh, these effects are something that you want to consider for policy, the statistics probably back it up as well. It, whether or not this is exclusively due to how temperature affects the brain and, and how quickly it's functioning, or whether it's just making us um, just a little bit slower, a little bit more lethargic, or get tired more easily, uh, or whether it's because you're not able to sleep as, as well the night before. These are things that uh, the research is only really beginning to tease apart. Yes. Uh, but on net, we know that, that extreme heat uh, is not, it's really not very helpful uh, when you're trying to learn. I mean, learning is hard enough as it is, even under ideal conditions, right? Well, this month, I'm sure many of us will have come across some of the headlines suggesting that brain performance slows by 13% um, as a result of heat. And obviously... Again, it's very hard to measure these things for all of us as a population across various uh, age groups. But but young people, students, seem to be uh, an easy subject to these studies because they, they are, are so noticeably affected by the heat. And that brings us on to the question of what to do about it. Air conditioning is an obvious solution. But I, I'm interested in your thoughts on that, Professor Park, because it, there's something very interesting psychologically about air conditioning. We control it. So unlike the heat, where you can't really blame anyone for that, uh, it's very hard to please everyone with air conditioning. Some will say it's still too 
warm. Others will say no, it's too cold. And whoever's in charge of the air conditioning uh, plays that uh, very challenging role of trying to keep everyone happy. That's right. You, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Right. You know, one thinks it's too hot, one thinks it's too cold with the soup. Uh, certainly, air conditioning when you're dealing with you know many hundreds or thousands of of occupants in a building. Uh, that, that that kind of problem might present itself as well. Uh, if I could just take a, a, a step back, there are a couple of really interesting and important layers when it comes to air conditioning. Right, One is uh, just how few schools or relatively few schools seem to have AC, uh, at least in the United States, which is one of the most highly air-conditioned countries in the world. Why that is the case is still a bit of a puzzle that we're, we're trying to unravel. But then the other part of this has to do with the problem that is sort of exacerbating all of this to begin with, which is climate change. And depending on what the energy infrastructure is upon which you install air conditioning, if it's heavily reliant on coal and other fossil fuels, then by using more AC, you're adding to the problem of climate change, which is making the need for AC higher to begin with. And so that speaks to the delicate balance that policymakers need to strike here and the challenges here. Uh, of trying to ramp up AC if you have an electrical grid that is heavily uh, dominated by fossil fuels. Very important points, even beyond trying to find the the Goldilocks zone, which uh, probably is something that puzzles or or, or perplexes teachers on a regular basis. Uh, Those who are lucky enough to have air conditioning, by the sound of it. Professor Park, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me.